I love putting together shows where we can bring together someone from sport and someone from business to talk about the same topic. This is one of those episodes. Julian de Guzman is one of Canada's greatest ever soccer players and is now general manager of Ottawa Fury in the USL. Andy Longley is Global Senior Director of Talent at Adidas Headquarters in Germany. Andy's background is actually in psychology, but he put his stamp on talent acquisition in his role hiring pilots for Emirates Airlines. These two guys are at the coalface of trying to build high-performing teams in today's global marketplace. And as you'll find out, they go about it in similar but different ways. I'm Cody Royal, and this is Where Others Won't. Andy Longley, how are you, sir? Um, fantastic, fantastic. Um, nice to be able to connect and have a chat to you, Cody. Absolutely. Julian de Guzman, how are you doing, mate? Very well, very well. Uh, pleasure to, to be on the show, Cody. Yeah, looking forward to this one, guys. Uh, you've, you've both got extraordinary backgrounds and, and, and a common element that we're going to dive into, which is you know, building high-performing teams. Uh, let's start with you, Andy. You know, it's long overdue in the corporate world especially, but talent is the hottest thing in business right now. Everyone's talking about it. All the reports are coming out. You know, CEOs are, are scrambling to get a talent strategy in place where they probably haven't in the past. You know, it's been very, you know, drive technology or innovation or whatever it's been. You know, from your perspective in, in your roles, and we'll get into your history in a, in a little bit, but just from an industry commentary, you know, what have you seen that, that we're getting right and potentially even things that we're still getting a little bit wrong in terms of you know, how we're building teams in, in the business landscape? Yeah, um, I think the key word that I, that I kind of um, bring out when I think about the cultural element is really integration and, and authenticity. Um, so if I think of, again, it can really flip on what we're doing right or, or maybe what we could be doing better um, from a business point of view. And if we look at probably the integration element, so if an organization is really trying to shape a culture, um, whichever the cultural direction they're trying to go in, um, but perhaps it's a performance-based culture that's really trying to drive on the cutting edge of things. It's making sure that every single element um, that you're doing within your organization um, from all of your interactions and processes is really integrated to really drive towards it. So a key question an organization can ask or individuals can when you're trying to look at this and, and how you're working is, you know, how will this decision or how will this initiative uh, really impact on our cultural aspirations? Because culture is everywhere. It lives and breathes. So all of those micro decisions or even some of the larger decisions will have an impact on it. So if you're really serious about driving it and, and understanding how you can do it, is having that integration across everything that you do. So really understanding what the impact is on your culture, whether it's from a, a rewards and compensation or if it's a leadership 
development focus or if it's uh, expanding into a new market or whatever it could be is kind of key. And then, and I think the authenticity piece is one that will probably resonate with, with yourselves, like with Julian and Cody in terms of what you've already felt from your own sports and business backgrounds, but also maybe with some of the listeners because if, if you have to be authentic around your culture, that is the only way for it to, to get traction and the only way for it to be genuine. Now, consumers and employees have a really good um, meter to, to know when they're hearing some BS. So, so getting that, the cultural rhetoric um, actually to be authentic of, of what you experience is, is the most difficult part. So an organization could have a vision, you could have a mission, you could really espouse some of the values that you're focusing on, but if they're not authentic, then it's going to drop off really quickly. So those are the two marriages that I think are the ones that have defined success, but are also the, probably the most difficult to do. And then on the flip side, have, have maybe been what organizations fail and it's the integration and the authenticity. I love that. I couldn't agree more. And, and my book is kind of around that idea. And, and I, I couldn't separate recruitment, leadership, culture, and high performance from each other. They all feed into each other. And so I, that was a realization in, in trying to you know, formulate a book that I came to is we still miss that point. And I'll actually ask Julian the same thing, you know, in your role and, and you've seen, you know, teams from the inside, all around the world in different cultures. Now, you know, the general manager role in Ottawa, you know, we're sitting here in a week where there's a couple of clubs in England that are, uh, you know, about to go bust and, mm. and talking of that integration point and, and things all impacting the organization as a whole. What would your commentary be from the, the football side in terms of you know, talent strategy and how we're trying to build out these, these organizations to be, self-sustaining from a whole, not just on the field. Yeah. The, the, the important thing from my experience, um, you know, playing in different cultures and, 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 and learning, uh, you know, what, 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 what actually exists before you even get there and how does it apply to you as, as an individual? I mean, that's, that, that's everything before you even get to step on the field. Um, you know, per, the person's lifestyle and, and then knowing, uh, how to adapt to uh, foreign foreign areas, um, you know that, that that goes a long way, and that represents the you know that the culture that that exists. Now, I've been in environments and I've seen environments too where uh, you know people completely just ignore that that what, what exists, and then they try to bring their own culture and and develop something that that might uh, clash heads in in all, in all in all areas, and you might not get the result uh, from uh, from what you expect on, as your strategy, but. I think coming into this environment for me in, in, in Ottawa, I mean, we're, we're, in, we're in Canada, you know, we're not in Europe or we're, we're not in Africa. We're not in South America. We're in Canada. So there's a lot of factors when I'm in recruiting players and talent, um, you know, they, I don't want it to be a, a shock for them and it throws them off. And then when they're on the pitch, they're not themselves. Uh, so I, I learned even uh, as a player, the one thing you have to do is, and, and you know, I'm sure uh, Andy, Andy could attest to this. When I'm in Germany and I'm speaking English right away, they're going to tell you you have to speak German, right? So, and then those are some of the, the, the steps and guidelines that, that kind of get, gets you and makes you a part of the culture. So the moment you're on the field, you know, the, you know that, that's, that's a, a, subconsciously a, a factor that you kind of eliminate and, work and less pressure on yourself. Now you could be yourself again um, and, and, and it translates and, and you see it in performance and I've seen it my first year in 2018 as GM versus 2019 where we had players that just did not fit the culture they did not want to be a part of the 
the, uh, the, the, the Ottawa uh, culture. They don't want to accept the cold. They didn't want to uh, speak the language. And, you know, you could see it impact their, their performance on, on the field. And, you know, that's some of the, 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 the tools I look at. Never forget the playing aspect. It's just the personality of the person and do they fit that, that culture and will they even help the culture grow uh, in, 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 a, in a better direction for, for the organization. So those are some of the things I'm learning now as, as my second year as a GM and then it's gotten better. I have applied it to my experience as a player. Julian, can I can I love to explore that because I know like being from New Zealand and I know the All Blacks are one that are often cited for an element of culture. There's many great sporting teams that, that do it, but one that's that's close to my heart and and they have a a, a rule or a or a mantra which I do believe was taken from from Aussie rules. It's a little bit of a plug, Cody, in terms of the no the Thanks, no man. dickheads policy. Yes. Um. And so, in essence, for for those that aren't probably aware of it, they they put the value of the culture ahead of individual talent. So they they do have a selection policy and a developmental policy that unless this person if this person's coming in and 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 as a prima donna or they're they're a dickhead or they're not. Um, putting the team first, then no matter how good they are, and there's some current examples um, of players that are playing now that are that are excluded at the moment for the All Blacks, they won't bring them in. And so, when you're looking at it from a football perspective, do you have a lens on how you can tell who are the individuals that will really add to the culture, or is it a feeling that you get when you're interacting and you're seeing them in training? Oh, you 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 get you get an idea. I mean, that's that's one of the things when you speak with their agents, when you speak to the player themselves before they even sign a contract, and then you're going to do your research and, and, and talk uh, to, to, you know, teammates that the player has been involved with. Um, I get an idea. I've been in many locker rooms to, to, to kind of figure out uh, certain individuals who may think they're bigger than the culture. They're bigger than the, the badge. And that's the one thing um, we, we had to eliminate. Um, you know, when I, when I, when I first got the role in 2018 is getting rid of those, those type of, uh, of players who are just here to just earn their paycheck and, and carry on. So I had to even restructure some of the contracts and create incentives for these guys to say, Hey, you know, if you're that good, let's, let's, let's get you to, to reach some of those, uh, those targets that we sign you for. And we'll, you know, we'll compensate you, uh, uh through bonuses and whatnot to, to, to achieve those goals. But it's, uh, there's also a collective aspect in there in some of those bonuses where you also have to be a team player, uh, and, and, and achieve goals as a team, whether it's making playoffs, whether it's finishing a certain position in the, in the cup, uh, play. And if you could do that as a team player as well, you know, you'll also be rewarded and you'll feel uh, uh, still a part of the team. So the, before there was never any type of incentives for the these players. So, of course, if a guy's coming from Brazil or coming from Germany, signing a contract with Ottawa Fury, he will get whatever money is guaranteed and his, and his job is pretty much done. So I think that's where some of that culture and respect in the badge comes into play and making sure that the player uh, doesn't really carry himself in the locker room bigger than anybody else or the badge. And we begin, we're beginning to see that now in, in, in the team performance and it, it helps, it helps a long way. That, that, that's something that I know uh, a lot of coaches have, uh, have praised and try to follow the, uh, the, the all blacks uh, 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 views on, on what, what the culture represents. That's kind of a fascinating idea. And I, and I know, you know, this podcast and Cody's book is really around the marriage between sport and business and how there's so many elements. And, and I think that's a lesson that business could take because you've just described where you're looking at investing in a, in a talent or an individual player and bringing them in. And you do a lot of research behind the scenes from, from understanding how they've actually been in other environments that are similar and talking to them in the family environment and, and, you know, where have they grown up? And I know, you know, you have some, some great podcasts recently, Cody, as well, where you've had, you know, that, that lens from the NFL scouting point of view. But when you look at recruitment and understanding it in business, 
there's not the depth of background in terms of it goes into anything, yet there's equally as much on the board in terms of that, that genuine cultural fit. Um, so when you look at it from a recruitment point of view, you could be doing a reference check, but it would be likely be superficial if that happens. And that is almost a, a former practice from, from talent acquisition. So understanding how you can do a little bit more um, genuine research on an individual's um, character or attributes and values before you would hire them in a business could be a way that we could actually take that lesson from sport because I think that's something that's fallen over from recruitment and it tends to be an interview, a little bit of a chronological history of where they've worked, um, maybe maybe a reference if, if you're lucky, but that really doesn't happen too much anymore. So I think sports even swung around and got ahead of business there when understanding how you can actually identify the right fit mm-hmm. for what you're trying to achieve. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's something, it's a tough thing to juggle. You know, you could find the, the, the top striker in the league and he's ready, you know, he's accepted the offer and he's a guy that would do great for us on the field. I've always preached that, you know, the locker rooms before the field. You know, and and, and if, if, it's a, if he's a team player and, and he could perform in the locker room as well, um, you, know, you know, push come to shove, that's where you can start to see the real colors. That's where you start to see what's organic and, and, and authentic in terms of what the team values. And if it's just that player, he thinks I could get through this by myself through the hard times, it will never work. So uh, the locker room is, it was, is it's a very important uh, factor. And it's, it's hard to, 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 to recognize that uh, when you're recruiting a player, whether it's over the phone, speaking to the agent or, or watching highlights. I mean, you're going to only hear the best things about this player. And, you know, you got to really dig deep and, and, and figure out, yeah, but what could this guy do in the locker room and how do I find that out? And where, where am I going to get the, you know, the genuine answers on that? It's funny, isn't it, Andy? Because we've, we've had the structure in place to be successful anyway, but we've just kind of mailed it in. Like you're talking about reference checks there and the fact that they've dropped off the, the face of the planet in terms of talent. <laughs> that is like, you know, calling up someone that, has worked with this person and saying, what were they like? And, and actually doing it properly. It, it strikes me as this idea of, and we keep doing this to ourselves. Like we think mindfulness and meditation is new as if it's not a thousand year old, you know, <laughs> practice. It's like, we're, we, we should be revisiting these, these ideas and doing them properly. And reference checks is one that's, that's sitting right there for us yep. as is the interview process and, and not mailing that in and not just, Googling the best questions to ask, you know, 15 minutes before the interview or finding out what Google asks their people and, and trying to copy, you know, uh, you're right. There's, there's a lot more thought that needs to go into this because I think we're sitting on success that we don't recognize already. Um, yep. and, and then to your point, Julian, like, yeah, identifying that melting pot. And this has been one of my things is we, we tend to recruit particularly in business, but also in sports a little bit in just a silo and we just replace a position for instance, rather than trying to figure out how this person fits into the melting pot of the locker room, which actually feeds nicely into my next question because you touched on something earlier, you know, being in, in Canada and the North American market is very different in general in terms of how sports operate here, you know, over in, in Europe and, and even Australia and, and Aussie rules in particular, you know, there's not a lot of players that have your kind of role, the general manager role, or we call it, you know, Aussie rules is list manager. Mm. Do you think that being in the locker room for, you know, you've had an extensive career and seeing how that operates, do you think that has helped set you up for success? Because the way it's going is your, your Bob Myers characters and your Daryl Morey characters and, you know, these Harvard MBA type guys are, are now the, the talent managers. 
but you've been in there and, and seen that melting pot in action. Do you think that has helped, uh, you know, I know you're early in your GM career, but do you think that's helped? Oh, I, uh, absolutely. I mean, there are things that I've gone through where you just wouldn't be able to have access to when you're, you know, going in school. I mean, I, I've, I could relate to a player that comes from a certain background and, uh, you know, because I've played with this player and, gone, you know, gone to war with that type of player. And you, you see the similar characters that come to no surprise. So I wouldn't know how to manage that and approach players. And in the past, I've just, it's been very maybe overly corporate um, whenever you, you find someone in my position uh, and then being, being, being able to approach a player. I was a guy where guys could t- come talk to me before now that because I'm labeled and titled, titled as a GM, it's hard for them to, to, to approach me, but I do my best to make sure that I'm still open arms and say, Hey, I could, I'm, I'm able to, to, to help you, you know, in, in, in any areas if it has to do with family, has to do with personal stuff. I've seen a lot of things that players deal with and it's not easy when you're on your own and you're far from home. You know, you don't, have, you don't have answers and you don't know who to talk to. So uh, that, that, has, that has really helped me and it helps me to recruit players too. And I know how to approach them uh, and I know what to expect, good and bad. And then, you know, being able to just address certain things, it's probably easier for me because I've been in locker rooms with these guys versus uh, someone who's probably gone through the, the, the universities and how, how do they, uh, they might approach players differently um, that may feel, because I know as a player, if I walk into the office, it's a different feeling. You feel, you know, it's, it's everyone's walking on their tippy toes or you're walking on, uh, on eggshells when you're in this environment. But when you're in the locker room, you know, you, you're, you're a much different uh, individual. So mm-hmm. I've had a chance now to learn this, uh, this, this role in the front office um, and then being able to manage it and going on the field. And I watch every training session. So just showing my presence there, I know what that does uh, for, 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 the, for, for the players. And you have to build, build those, continue to build those relationships and keep them positive for, for a guy from Senegal to, to speak to you about something that he may not even be able to speak to a coach about. Right. So it, it goes a long way. It goes a long way, but that experience as a player uh, in different countries um, and learning different languages, and it has helped me uh, uh, enormously uh, to, to, to help me get started in, in, in this position. Do your do your peers like um, you know your, your similar I, I guess business leaders for for some of them the franchises do they also take such a grassroots interest in terms of you know watching the training and really getting an understanding and observing uh, you know your key your key team members and players just like like a leader could with their employees do, is that something that 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 um, is replicated because that sounds quite unique in terms of what I would have really pictured for a GM's role maybe wouldn't have been so so. Um, so hands on down with um, with the observations and really being connected to it that way. That's quite fascinating. Yeah, it it, it uh, I mean our, our president he come he'll come out and watch a session. I mean it uh, and, and and meet the players and uh, it's it's important. Our, our CEO he'll come out and watch as well. Um, and it does wonders when you know it, 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 the whole training session may not stop when they come out or anyone comes out, but we rec- <laughs> they recognize that. And I remember being on that side of the the field where you know if I saw the the president you probably think, oh man, so someone's in trouble, you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. your locker room. Exactly. Someone's getting fired. But teachers, teachers coming. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, so that's why I, I, it should be a normal thing. And, and, I, and I, I speak to my assistant Jim about it. And I said, one of the things I think, uh, you know, you could help your, your role in is, is continuing to, you know, keep those relationships with the players, even the coaching staff uh, uh, at ease. You don't want to walk into the field and watch training and, 
think that, okay, something's happening. You know, it should be a normal thing where these guys should be shaking your hands after, after training sessions, the coaching staff should be. And then that's even where I have my meetings. I have my meetings literally with the coaches on the field. We recap the session. I, I get their feedback on, on how, on where their, where their team's at. And you may run into one or two players and you, you might have a, a, you know, a five to maybe 10 minute conversation about just something away from soccer. And that will make things so positive for, for not just one, but an entire locker room. And that's very important. That, that's a culture actually we, uh, that represents here in, in, in OSEG, you know, between the, uh, the, the red blacks, which is the, um, the, the CFL team, the, the hockey team, which are the 67s and the Fury with the soccer team. So we notice a lot of that uh, coming, coming from all the, the, the owners. And it's, it's good to see that from, uh, from the, the people in the higher positions. And that's something I've known. I mean, I've seen when I was in La Liga, you know, the, 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 the sport director or the GM would be on the field and just a, a simple high five or a high, you know, that, that, that could go a long way. And I've learned that and I've, I've applied that to my, uh, my, my daily operations here in, in, uh, in Ottawa. Yeah, and that, you're right. And it doesn't necessarily need to come from that playing background either. Like I look at well, being in Toronto, you know, I watch Kyle Dubas quite closely just as a leader and see what he does and, and the way he shows up. And and he seems to have that same aura. And again, he's kind of that Harvard MBA, you know, he's supposed to be the stats guy that is, you know, transactional as a GM. But you, you listen to the way the players talk about him. That's really telling for me. You know, when when hockey players come out and they talk about their interactions with with the GM, yeah. uh, you, you know that goes a long way. And so it's not to say that it needs to necessarily come from a playing background to to kind of be in that that locker room environment and impact it. But you're exactly right. Just that high five can change so much. On that, Andy, I've been wondering a similar thing around the business landscape and talent leaders, same, same kind of idea. <laughs> Why aren't they out in the business giving high fives and, and, <laughs> and speaking to the, the coaches or the, the line managers and, and even, you know, I know they're starting to get into more and more boardrooms and there's, you know, chief talent officers popping up all around the world. But that strikes me as something that's still drastically missing. HR and, and talent in general still seem to be in their office, in their kind of fishbowl. Yep. And, and it doesn't seem like the best way to really get into the nuts and bolts of what the organization needs and the types of people they need to be bringing in, the teams they need to be facilitating. Yeah, you, I, th- I think the, the ones, the organizations that do talent development or talent management really well are, are the ones that uh, are embedded. And, and, and even in terms of how you set up your, your structure in, in terms of it. So if, if you want to have your finger on the pulse and you, as a, as a talent professional to understand, um, you know, what is the intelligence that I'm co- uh, collecting from the business? Of course, you've got lots of quantitative data in terms of uh, metrics that are coming through, which really help shape it. But you also need to, to understand what is the business direction happening from within side um, and what is, what is going on from a capability development point of view. And the only way you can can start to be able to predict what's going to be required in the future, which is really where you need to be from a talent strategy is not only from an attraction, but a developing the ones you've got is you need to know what's coming up, whichever your horizon is, because industries could be different. But if you're a three or five year strategic horizon, then what's coming up? And the only way you're going to know that is from being in there and experiencing and seeing what the, the trends are in the coalface, seeing what the innovation team is already working on to know what could be the capabilities that have come from that and understanding it. So an organization who sets up 
to have maybe the, the talent intelligence coming through from, from people embedded in the business is in a much better place to be able to understand and adapt and be really agile as it drives from that. So without trying to apply a big process in terms of where you think you're going to be and be really consistent, especially for large organizations, is collecting that intelligence from those that are doing it. And the only way you can really do that is if you are having the conversations, if you're walking the shop floor or the factory floor or the design studio like we have here or whatever that works and having those conversations. And then not only will you be able to get the the understanding of, of what's really happening out there and, and, and build that into what you're really trying to do, but you're also going to make the interpersonal connections like Julian's saying when he's down talking to the players on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have that authenticity come through the leadership side of things as well, which is it's really about living and breathing all of it. And, and if your leadership is really driving your culture and if your culture is driving your behavior um, and it brings it to life, then your behavior drives your strategy. The only way you can succeed in your business strategy is if your leadership is, is doing things uh, genuinely and authentically. And, and so really being that connected element is probably the key one. And so when you're setting up your talent strategy and you're really understanding how to, how to have that competitive advantage, it's collecting the intelligence and the, and the, and the, and the daily interactions with the people who are doing it is the only way that it's going to future-proof you and, and make you agile enough to be able to adapt because the markets uh, swing so quickly. Technology swings so quickly. Macro trends come through and just really um, fundamentally change what we need to do in terms of the disruption that you're coming through from a classic example, you know, the blockbuster and the Netflix and there's an absolute disruption. But unless you're knowing what's coming from understanding ahead of the game, you can't be ahead. Um, so I think it's, it's setting your your organization up to have those conversations and to set your your model up so that you're actually embedded in what's um, actually happening day to day. You talked about intelligence there and I want to talk quickly about just the idea of, you know, a global talent market. So Julian, I'll start with you because, you know, football has changed rapidly. I know we think about the international game now, we think about the, the amount of different nationalities in the Premier League and things like that. And everyone talks about that. But, you know, it wasn't too long ago. I think it's the 1986 World Cup. I went back and did the numbers on how many of those players were actually playing outside of their country. And it wasn't many. I think there was maybe three squads with more than three guys that weren't playing in that country at that time. For you guys, in terms of all these things, so you're trying to build this culture, but you're also trying to go out to a, now a global market and find players that can subscribe to that culture or might be a fit for that culture, banging in goals. You know, what does that actually look like for you? How difficult is it to to find players that, that you want to properly scout and then bring into your organization? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge challenge. I mean, we're the only Canadian team in, the, in, a, in, a, in a league of 36 teams so we're we're competing with uh you know tons of talent and then teams who are uh, who have easy access to the uh, to the american talent so and then there's also a lot of canadians that play on, on the on the american teams as well so mm-hmm. um, then you're also dealing with the currency so we pay canadian dollars and then american teams are paying the, the american dollar so those, those are some of the things that you, you you have to kind of come up with and, and be creative and just you know find the right match being in a place called like, like Ottawa, the nation's capital, I mean, nobody could tell you a story about that, uh, you know Ottawa if, if you've never <laughs> been there. So <laughs> that's, that's always a, another big, uh, big challenge, I think. Um, and uh, everyone's talking about you know Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, which are the major markets in in, in, uh, in Canada. But those teams play in the MLS, and 
Uh, the good thing is we do have relationships with those teams. So that's usually my starting point with the, when it comes to recruiting players uh, abroad. Um, the other thing is you could always look at a player uh, playing in, 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 in Europe. Um, and the thing is, you, you know, he's probably very good playing on grass and he's very good when it's very little travel, but how is he when he's yeah. playing on turf? And how is he when he has to travel, you know, thousands of kilometers to, 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 to get to one game and the other. So those are some of the things that I have to really, you know, dive deep into and, and really make sure that it's the right guy we're going to invest in uh, internationally. But I like to keep it safe first and foremost. And um, I like to keep it real where we're a Canadian club. We're going to, we're going to do it for, for Canadians first and foremost. And that's why our team is made up of 18 Canadians out of the 27 on, on, on in the roster yeah. because it's a Canadian club. So I got to find first the best Canadians that can represent this Canadian club uh, as, as a starting point. And that's what we were able to do uh, in year one when I, when I started in 2018 was really focus on that. And that was one of my, my main, my biggest philosophy was this is going to be a Canadian club. So we, we went in that direction and was able to create a, a strong base that now we've got the Canadians. Now let's get the different difference makers and the difference makers are obviously going to be the international players up to seven uh, international players we could sign. But then there's also Americans who are not considered international players. So Right. We've got maybe a couple Americans that could come here. And to be honest, the moment people come to Ottawa, you know, six years of, of, of a professional soccer team, you know, operating in, in, in the SL and USL, all the stories that you hear of ex-players that play for this team, they love the city. They love it here. I'm, I'm, also, I'm also a victim. I've, I'm from Toronto. I've been all over the world. I've been in Ottawa now for, uh, you know, going on, going on six or five years. And I do not want to move for, you know, out of this, from this place. And it's, it's a growing, it's a growing city and the organization we're above standards in the league uh, in terms of uh, uh, presentation and what we have on a professional level. And, you know, when a, a player from Germany or a player from Senegal come here, they actually feel like this is a Canadian club. You know, they feel Canadian. And that's, my, that's one of my biggest goals whenever I bring an international player that they're open to absorbing a new culture, a new market and finding these guys uh, I mean, one is not easy, but two, a lot of the players that I've actually connected with have a, some type of relationship or mutual relationship through agents, through ex-players, or maybe played with in the past. So I have a good, very good understanding of those are the guys that I could target and work with. If it's someone that is have completely no don't, no no ties to, maybe it's somebody that the coach has has, has trust in. So there's a lot. There's always some type of connection uh, that that I can work with in terms of uh, players working with agents as well. That's usually my, my driving force, but getting a player from a foreign market and bringing him into Ottawa, I mean, that's always a big risk. And that's, that, that t that's time consuming where I have to really spend a lot of time figuring out what are the, what are the cons on this player? What, how can you affect the change room? How can you affect us on the playing field? And if it's very minimal uh, points that come back to me, then this is probably a good player to, 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 to invest in long-term. It's similar and different in terms of, I guess, how maybe, uh, you know, an international uh, company would really look at it because you're, you've described really beautifully that you're trying to reflect your consumer base, uh, your, your fan base. Um, so being a Canadian club, capturing that spirit, and that's where you're going to be drawing a lot of your fans. You'll, you'd have international fans, but I, I assume the majority of the ones from Canada and probably especially around the Ottawa region. And, and an organization needs to represent the consumer base through the employees or, or their team players as well. So you know, for, for a large company like, like Adidas, 
the employees have to be as diverse as possible. And not only from a diversity of thought point of view or diversity of capability, but just generally diverse because the consumers are absolutely as radical from, from one end of a spectrum to the other. And so trying to match you know, statistically, your consumer base from an organization with your employee base is a really strong business driver in terms of doing it. And that's obviously where a lot of the, the movement towards having really strong diversity and an inclusive culture brings that in because then you're actually able to harness the, the potential of that employee population. So it's that interesting balance between meeting your local needs of what you really want to do, but meeting your consumer needs. And if your customers are everywhere, then that then opens up the global talent pool. Um, and then, then you start competing with totally different industries and, and totally different cultures and totally different geographies. And then, it, then the war for talent really heats up. Oh, yeah. It's an international sport. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Andy, on that. And uh, the one thing about Canadians, I mean, there's no such thing as a real Canadian. You know, I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> Canadian has some tie to uh, all, all kinds of countries, which are mostly soccer countries. And that's the one thing I like to, to, to highlight it whenever we have a, a certain events or certain appearances and players going to you know, the high commission or embassies to, 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 to do appearances. And it's, like, there are Canadian, they hold a Canadian passport, but they may have ties to uh, the different nations, which is always a special, special factor that I, 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 uh, I enjoy with my experience, you know, being Jamaican, Filipino backgrounds, going into the different countries and they right away look at my last name and it's like, how did you get a, a Spanish last name? You know, and there's always some type of tie. I mean, even though Philippines is not really a soccer country, but uh, uh, that, that's always, a, I guess, the, the advantage we have. Uh, but again, and when, when Cody mentioned back in 86, that was the last time Canada actually made a, a World Cup. Uh, <laughs> the one thing we we're trying to help with in terms of bringing Canadians and having as many Canadians as possible play. Finally, now we have uh, not just the, the three MLS teams and a USL team that's a, that are Canadian in uh, playing, but we now have a Canadian soccer league that, uh, that just started this, the, the CPL. And it's allowing more Canadians to play, allowing the national team to, to, to have a larger pot of players to, to choose from to perform, uh, hopefully, at, at, a, at a World Cup in, uh, in, in, in Qatar. Julian, if, if I might, one question is, are you, because I know there's, there's huge growth in terms of athletic involvement from, from um, I guess, female athletes. Um, and, and I know after, of course, the Female Football World Cup, like, which is such a success, it was an outstanding tournament. Are you also identifying that as, as, a, as a focus area for your club to really leverage off the growth and popularity and the untapped potential of, of maybe that, um, that huge part of, of, of our population? Absolutely. I mean, it's women's soccer is huge in Canada. It's, uh, I mean, we, we don't have a women's professional team right now. This could be a, a you know, a long-term plan and, and create that opportunity. I've never seen women's soccer like at, at, like at this level before after watching yeah. the world, listening to the teams that the, the players are playing for the type of contracts are signing for as well. I mean, and, and Canada, uh, you know, has been one of the, the, the stronger, the strongest teams in the, in the women's side for, for, for many years. So if we want to continue to be the powerhouse, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you find another a Canadian team playing in the women's professional league uh, in, in North America. So that's that, that's always a, uh, an interesting thing to talk about and work towards too down the road. But women's soccer, I mean, that's that you cannot ignore that for, for for a second, especially in Canada. I mean, it's it's such a big, big, big piece of the puzzle for 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 a club to have both men's and women. Um, and I think uh, I think a lot of clubs are you hear them talking about it more and more, which is uh, which is quite exciting. 
And yeah, I lost a, a good bottle of New Zealand red wine over a bet with the New Zealand uh, Canada match at the Football World Cup. So unfortunately, <laughs> you, you beat us. So I, I, can, I can remember that game quite vividly. And 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 even in New Zealand, when you look at uh, rugby, which is traditionally associated with with males in terms of a sport, but it's the biggest growing sport in New Zealand is female rugby by a mile. Wow! And not only from um, a participant number, which is outstanding, but also from a viewership number in terms of uh, the public demand for being able to watch our female rugby team, um, Black Ferns play, um, amongst other other sports, is, is just astronomically um, growing in terms of it. So it, it's such, a, um, I think, a global movement in terms of the opportunity to to really tap into that and really enjoy the journey of where it's coming and understand it. And, and it just really parallels into also the commercial opportunities. If, if organizations can really tap into understanding how to leverage the diverse people that are out there in the, in the talent pool. And then that's also a commercial connection. And just like it is as a fan base connection for what you'd probably be doing with your female team and growing that female fan base market. Yeah, that's, 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 that's massive. I mean, it's great to, to, to hear, you know, people finally recognizing that the, on, on the other side of the world, you know, there, there's a, there's a, there's a strong competition that, that actually exists and it's getting the attention it needs. And it's, it's great to see that. I mean, I, I was glued to the TV to the women's world cup and, um, I, I could admit maybe years ago, I've never had probably the, uh, the appetite for it as a, as a player, you know, focused maybe more so on the men's side, but when your country does perform, you're going to, everyone's going to you know, put things aside and watch it. But the way this world cup, uh, unfolded, I think, uh, uh, it, you know, there's, there's not just a soccer world. Now you're, you're speaking about uh, rugby as well. And, and, and even for hockey, and there's a lot of, uh, uh things that, that are evolving and, and it's becoming, uh, uh, very, very exciting for 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 the youth uh, to, uh, to to shoot for uh, for dreams and, and down the road. So it's great to it's great to see that support and, and it's it's a uh, it's, it's it's a very exciting time to be involved in sports for sure. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be in France when the the um, World Cup was going on. I was in Lyon, and and the city was um, was absolutely buzzing for what was going on. And France was doing well, but even when France wasn't playing, uh, the other matches was was outstanding in terms of not only from the local population getting behind all of the the events, um, but it was just it was huge. It was like I was you know I've been to a few. Uh, went to the uh, men's football World Cup and a couple of rugby World Cups, and, and this, the the country was equally alive um, at the female World Cup, and the whole community just gathered around it. And I could just sense that there was a kind of a, a changing of the tide of of what's really available um, from that athletic opportunity, but also just um, to be able to see some some quality sport played. Yeah, it was captivating television, the World Cup, and you know even from my sports perspective, you know, even within Canada, we were the, the world champions in 2014, uh, lost in the final in 2017. And then, you know, the women's professional league has started up. Uh, I think they're in, they're about to go into their fourth iteration now. And yeah, to just see, you know, stadiums packed out, like you're starting to see in Europe with uh, soccer, you know, 40, 50, sometimes 60,000 for a women's game. And, and even just watching the landscape in general, in Australian sport where it's so male dominated to then see Sam Kerr, the soccer player on, you know, the, she's on the front page and Ash Barty's number one in the world in tennis at the moment. And, and there's, yeah, you're right, Andy, it is a, a changing of the guard or a changing of the tide mm-hmm. for sure. And, and there's huge opportunities there. And, and even just, you know, talking about this lesson in talent, I think there's, we just need to reconsider kind of all of these talent lessons. Like what are the other areas we're overlooking? Accessibility is a huge one in the, in the business landscape that is just completely overlooked. 
and engaging people with from different backgrounds and and different uh, lifestyles, different abilities. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's so many opportunities in general. What I need to ask you before we get out of here, though, Andy, is you need to settle a bet, and I'm probably going to yeah. lose a couple of bottles of wine, and they'll be Australian wine, not, not oh. Kiwi oh, well. wine. How do you actually pronounce the name of your company? Mm-hmm. Because there's two schools of thought here. Is it Adidas or is it Adidas? Yeah, well, and I'll answer it. Uh, Julian, how would you say it? You're, you're probably um, biased, I guess, because you've, you've lived over in Germany and, <laughs> and you've been in the European football world. So that was a, probably a prime question. So it's, it's Adidas. Yeah. Um, so I know the North American model would say Adidas, um, but the founder is, is a bit of a German legend called Adi Dazzler. And so when you put those two elements of the name together, it's Adidas. Um, so I hope that helps and it probably um, gives a bit of clarity. Uh, certainly within uh, the company, you know, we, we get both and we roll with both because um, it's all good from that point of view because we're the, the same word strung together with different accents is something we embrace. Um, you know, everyone's got different languages we come from, but Adidas. Did you win or lose, Cody? Uh, one. I can't tell you how Nailed many it. arguments I've had. Uh, <laughs> a couple of, there's so many, you know, couple of beers in arguments that you've just settled for me there. So I'm going <laughs> to have to recontact people. Yeah. And send, <laughs> You're going to go on a collection run. <laughs> awesome, lads. This has been fantastic. Just as we kind of set the show here, Julian, how can people follow along with the Fury either you know on social media or however they want to, to follow along with what you guys have got going on yeah well our games uh, are t- we have our game streamed on YouTube for the international viewer that is so outside of the US um, YouTube is the, the easiest way to, to catch our games we have our, our games on our website uh, you know Ottawa theory dot com so and then if you're in the US ESPN uh, plus is the, the other uh, streaming uh, that they, they use with just in the, in the North America. So um, those are the, the best ways to, to access our games live. And then, yeah, we hope to continue to make noise and, and, and find ourselves maybe in a Champions League one day where <laughs> in the concept Champions League where they could get those games uh, internationally as well. But YouTube is the best way, easiest way, and you could even catch a lot of the, the, the games on or even interviews that they have on, on our websites as well. Awesome, mate. Nice. Andy, where can people find you if they want to contact you or, or ask questions or follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, LinkedIn's definitely the best platform um, for me from from the professional side. So if, if you put in Andrew Longley, Adidas, you know, I'll pop up and you're really welcome. I love the conversations. You know, you've been nice and provocative and, and thought-provoking. Uh, Cody recently as well, so I'm so keen to get some of these dialogues going as well and, and, and start to, to push the limits of, of what's possible really um, and sort of test those boundaries. Absolutely, mate. I uh, want to thank both of you guys for your time and the engaging conversation and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. <laughs>